0: Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that covers all the biggest issues in the property world. Now, it provides about a quarter of the UK's GDP and creates employment for more than 6 million people. So it's pretty reasonable to ask, what does 2020 have in store for London's commercial property sector? 30% of all
1: the investment deals in the West End last year took place in December, and 20% of all the deals in the city. And being an eternal optimist, I think that I'm going to say, well, that heralds
0: a return of investor confidence for 2020. And... Can the elephant slap-bang in the middle of the room, called Brexit, finally be put to one side?
2: Five years of a majority government that is potentially, hopefully, pro-business, pro-the UK. Logically, that will change the landscape. And logically, we should see more interest from a wider range of investors.
0: I'm Guy Ruddle and with me today are three of Savile's finest, especially when it comes to understanding our capital. Stephen Down leads Savile's central London investment business. Stephen, your biography or Savile's biography says you're one of the most experienced advisors in the market. Philip Pearce heads up the Central London Office Agency teams, advising some of the world's biggest landlords and tenants. Welcome to the podcast, Philip. Hello. And Matt Oakley is no stranger to real estate insights. He heads up Savills UK and Europe commercial research. Hello, Matt. Good morning. Now, let's talk about London. Let's have a little think about last year. And and so, Philip, your side is the actual sort of letting space to tenants, and the like, and and Stephen, your side is people buying big buildings to 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 own them as an investment, right? Yeah, yeah the finished so, product. Yeah. So, so Philip, from your point
3: of view, what was last year like? I, I think quite a robust performance across central London. An extension of a theme that's been going on really for the last three years, which is demand or take up of office space has actually exceeded. Um, the long-term average for all the years post the um, 2016 referendum. Prior to the referendum, average take-up across central London was about 9.3 million, whereas for all the years post the referendum, it's been cumulatively 12 million as an average per annum. From that,
0: Philip, a good performance. The question for you, Stephen, is why, given Philip's good performance, was your side of the world, the investment into London uh, market, down 36%? Uh, good question.
2: And, and and 36% is actually one of the lower percentages. That, uh, during the last quarter there was sort of uh, slightly alarmist views in the press about it was 50% down or or even more than that but it was only 36% and it was 13.3 billion of transactions which you know, over a 10 year average is 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 more or less where it should be i mean we're just comparing some exceptional uh years of 20 billion 19.5 billion again post referendum so I think we just need to calm down a bit and just sort of take stock. But to answer your question, the frustration of last year uh, was, was the sort of lack of stock, the absence of, of, of investment opportunities for these investors to, to get their, their teeth into. Um, right, so
0: there are some buyers out there. There's just the, the people who, are, who, who should be selling aren't.
2: Well, no one should be selling. It's just the question, there's, we're in an extended cycle. So if you think that this 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 cycle has been running for what 8 9 years now uh it normally if there is a normal is 6 7 years those that were doing the selling have done their selling i'm talking about the private equity investors that came in in 2010 and 11 fixed the real estate and then they sold it in 2016 and 17 so there aren't any natural sellers per se and and as philip's side of uh, the equation has shown that london at the fundamental level, with sort of take-up being strong, vacancy rates being low, rental growth coming up. There's little to persuade owners to sell. Um, So there was a bit of a standoff. And and, and there was this expectation from overseas, as the noise got louder from Parliament Square, uh, that London was in a state of crisis and therefore there should be deals on offer, but there weren't any.
0: So, let's talk a little bit then uh, about Brexit, because um we uh, <laughs> I know Matt loves talking about this. <laughs> but uh, I got a sense from talking to all of you through last year that at the beginning of last year, there was a sort of feeling that Brexit really wasn't a very big issue, and that things were happening anyway. And by the end of last year, actually it was a big issue. Uh, so we had the, we've had the you know the election things have changed politically. Have they changed in terms of commercial property?
1: I think, you know, certainly there was, uh, you know, whether it was about politics or whether it was just about realizing towards the end of the year you hadn't fulfilled your targets, there was certainly a, a degree of Christmas shopping in the market. I think you know, 30% of all the investment deals in the West End last year took place in December and 20% of all the deals in the city. And, um, you know, being an eternal optimist, I think that I'm going to say, well, that heralds a return of investor confidence for 2020. And, and we're looking at, you know, people coming back into the market. Um, I don't think it was all about Brexit, though, because, you know, actually, London wasn't the only global market that was quite substantially down last year. So I think there is a cycle point, as Stephen was talking about. But, you know, definitely one or two buyers who are still a bit worried about politics, who we hope will come back
3: this
0: year. Do you, yeah. Philip? Did you experience that actually on the, you know, on the streets, so to speak? Since, since the well, election?
3: occupiers are different to investors because, essentially, they they they've got businesses to run. They need to make decisions. They need space to occupy, and they don't have the luxury of sitting on the sidelines. They've they've got lease events in the future that they need to, you know, effectively deliver product to, to match those expiries. Um, They're more concerned about around the availability of options. Um, and the availability of good options for their business. So, to some respects, it, it, it's understandable that you know Brexit has been less impactful on the occupier than possibly the investment community, because they have the the, the luxury of, of, of effectively having a discretionary spend. Whereas, you know, you know, from an occupier's perspective, essentially it's a needs must. They've got a business to run, and as a consequence, you know, people forget how international London is from its occupier base. Um, and as a consequence, a lot of these businesses are making decisions on a global basis, not 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 just on a UK business, and, got, and therefore less impacted by Brexit. Many of your clients
2: are making decisions to move because their, building leases are, their leases on their buildings are coming to an end. I mean, structural demand has played a part in, in that activity in the last two or three years, hasn't
3: it? Yeah, and, yeah. In, and to some respects, more so than in the past because the levels of mergers and acquisitions has been lower across central London you know, for the past two or three years, and it has historically. But equally, as you know, we've discussed previously, essentially, and they, the levels of take up have been, you know, relatively, you know, well, more than robust. Effectively, and they. I,
0: I want to talk about sort of what the London market is like, for, from everyone's point of view, going forwards uh, in, in a set, but just finally on the Brexit thing. Stephen, from your point of view, your, your type of, of client, uh, have you noticed a change since, since December? And, and- do you think it's going to check if, if you if you haven't do you think that it has now settled down as far as they're concerned
2: well let's just go back a little bit you know to into two thousand and nineteen because we had the the thematic was the brexit nervousness and uh that impacted more more heavily on some investors than others um And then you then, when when the the control of the Conservative Party went from Theresa May to Boris, and we had the proroguing of Parliament and the noise and the election, you know, I think it was the sort of heightened level of disruption that I think um, made some investors pause. Um, But there were certainly plenty of investors that wanted to get into the market. Again, it was more about being a supply-constrained investment activity going forward, Post the election, five years of a majority government that is potentially, hopefully, pro-business, pro-the UK. You know, um, logically, that will change the landscape. And logically, you know, we should see more interest from a wider range of investors. And we saw that in that last month in December with a number of new buyers coming into the marketplace.
0: So, looking ahead, London. London uh it's not one city really is it in terms of commercial property is it's what is it sort of three city you have got the west end you have got the city you have got the south bank is it is is that about right that it works like that
3: i think to some respects that's been how historically people have looked at london um i do believe that that is changing changing quite rapidly i think london is becoming one city um certainly from the majority of the occupiers perspective And there are various reasons for that. One is essentially the changes in infrastructure, um, although, you know, Delayed again, but you know the Elizabeth line, when open, undoubtedly will change people's perception um, in terms of travel distance across London and will bring the West End closer to the city and Canary closer to the city and suddenly it will just feel more of a sort of you know compact city than it does at the moment um because people obviously judge distance by time rather than actual physical distance um I think you know, um, a lot of the changes in the built environment that have taken place, particularly in the city and the South Bank of London, have changed yeah. the occupier's perspective and have given people who traditionally possibly were always based in the West End an option to move. Um, and, you know, all businesses discuss war for talent. I mean, it seems to be very high on the occupier's agenda in terms of employing. Let's be honest, that's why a lot of these international businesses are attracted to London is the employment base. And, you know, accessibility for staff is, you know, becoming ever, ever more important because time is money and um, also keeping and the staff happy correct
1: yeah you know we're all old enough or at least the, the those of us from the savile side of the table are old enough to remember when you couldn't get a drink in the city after about nine o'clock on a weekday night and you know it wasn't a very fun place to work and that's changed and i think that's really important to employers as well absolutely I mean, in the same way as occupiers are becoming more agnostic
2: investors particularly the way the city investment or the London investment market has changed, you know, with a, a growing number, of a larger percentage of international investors coming to our marketplace, they don't see these sort of sub-markets that we do. They look at it as one London. And, uh, yeah, there's a preference maybe because the deal sizes are bigger in, in the city than they may be in the, in the West End. But, uh, you know, I I think that sort of one London theme is going to continue.
3: Well, I, I think the, the the exciting bit is, you know, the displacement of activities across central London is is you know much wider than than um, it has been you know for the years past, um, and as a consequence, there's some real pockets of vibrancy, you know, in particular on the South Bank of London, you know, amongst a certain you know amongst the younger generation, it's it's a very, you know it, it's their playground, um, and 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 in some respects, you know. that that is attractive to occupiers because it you can create an environment um a working environment within your existing space but ultimately at the end of the day what really attracts staff is having somewhere to go in close proximity at the end of the day or at lunchtime and and that that is an important you know factor in, in in deciding where to place yourself in london
0: Let's deal with some of the numbers uh, of what we think is going to happen this year in terms of occupancy levels, in terms of uh, rents, in terms of yields, and things like that. Matt, do, do you do you have? Is it sort of more of the same? Do you think? Um- No, I don't think it is more of the same, actually. I think,
1: you know, if we do see a little bit more, some of this uh, risk-averse foreign money coming back, particularly from the Eurozone, potentially from Japan, I think there could be quite significant competition for the safest, best buildings. So we might see a bit of yield hardening, but Stephen may disagree with me ardently. And on, on the rental side, I think actually you know rents in london have been relatively flat uh, and we've just revised our rent forecasts up um, with the city being the strongest market over the next five years to about three and a half percent per annum and that puts the city of london really in the top one or two destinations in europe for strong rental growth um so no i'm i'm pretty bullish on on the next few
0: years quite a lot of nodding going yeah
1: there. invest i mean the investment activity okay 13.3 this uh,
2: in in 2019 um it's all about whether the product is there to be
1: bought. And, your neck uh, out, Stephen. Put a number on it.
2: The investors uh, look. Owners, the big owners <laughs> are already, you know, penciling in uh, maybe a twenty to twenty-five basis point improvement in the prime end of their assets. You know, so you know what was four. I think you know is is the investors are already saying right. Well, I'll, I'll sell that at a at a three and three quarters. Whether they they will do so or not depends on you know the international money that's going to follow that. But there are certainly going to be more people at the party more investors at the party this in before it'll be the asian investors there'll be more european investors there are a number of large american funds that are looking to invest in the uk so my uh fear or concern is there could be a lot of frustrated buyers but ultimately some of that is going to push its way into the market and is going to inevitably push up pricing by how much we'll have to
0: see Are we actually building enough in London? I mean, if you drive around London, it feels like it's a building site. But are we actually building enough office space?
3: No, is the honest answer. Um, I mean, I think we collectively we'd love to see the level of development increase. Um, I think a lot of the rental growth that's feeding through into the market at the moment is a function of the fact that there is historically a very constrained level of vacancy across central London, and with you know, up to a third of the pipeline already pre-led. We're looking, Matt, at what about sort of, you know, only 13 months of supply as an average across central London, 13 months of take-up, which is, you know, very low by historical standards. Um, And when you combine that with the fact that, you know, a lot of occupiers gravitate to new space um, as opposed to refurbished space um you know that is a you know that will fuel in, in in the near term rental growth across central london
0: and where if if we were to build more uh i mean obviously this is a very long-term thing but if we were to build would it, would it be rebuilding existing buildings or is there new space available there's very little space outside of the
2: conventional cbds um central business yes yeah, so, yeah so so i think you'll have you know there will be rebuilding of 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 Properties that were built perhaps twenty, thirty years ago, um, or certainly substantial re- reconstruction of those buildings, because most of them have decent bone structures in terms of uh, floor to ceiling heights. But I think there will be more pressure on using the existing stock, and that's where perhaps some of the uh, the environmental issues uh, start coming in. That actually taking the existing building and 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 trying to reposition it, rather than going out into uh, into into Greenfield
3: or brownfield sites that don't exist a lot of the future supply will come through repurposing and you know repositioning existing stock that said, however, you know where there are opportunities to develop, whether it be in the tower cluster or outside the tower cluster um, you know I think that Matt you'd agree with me that the evidence does still point to occupiers having a preference for New build over refurbishment simply Definitely, because yeah. it delivers many of the you know the efficiencies associated with occupying modern office buildings in central London
0: now several standard statistic time gentlemen uh you can't get away with coming here without delivering a Savile standout statistic. Everyone prepared one in advance already, or are you going to sort of pretend to make it up on the <laughs> on the hoof. <laughs> Let's start with you, Stephen. What's your Savile standout statistic today? Okay,
2: my standout statistic today is uh, really looking back at the way in which capital values have changed in certain geographies, and taking Old Street as my example today, I remember buying a building for a private investor in Old Street, uh, a modern building, grade A building, um, only about 12 years ago. And we paid um, about £450 a square foot for it. And at that time, we thought, well, that, that's, that's a very, very strong price. Um, last year, we sold a building in the same location, for 1400 pounds a square foot
0: Matt what's your Savile standout stat
1: well seeing as Stephen went a bit greta earlier and started talking about sustainability (laughs) um, mine is is um, 168 kilograms of carbon um, which is what the average office workers just their email behavior produces a year that's equivalent to a flight from London to Brussels so if nothing else please send me fewer emails this year (laughs)
3: <laughs> Philip? Um, a statistic that probably many don't know, but since the referendum in 2016, the average level of take-up across central London has been 12.1 million square feet per annum. Whereas before the referendum, for the f- 10 years before the referendum, it averaged 96 big numbers
0: uh gentlemen thank you very much for your time today that's been absolutely fascinating that's it for this episode of real estate insights uh if all we've done is whet your appetite for more information and more detail then you can find plenty of stuff on the research section of the savils website that's matt's territory really savils.co.uk slash research and if you aren't a subscriber to real estate insights then please feel free to become one we've got lots of interesting things we've been talking about recently and plenty more interesting things coming up in the next few weeks In the meantime, thank you very much for listening. See you next time.
3: This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savils accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to, or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savils makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast.